the Scene on Screen podcast presents Three Men and a Meeple. Are you interested in playing games that don't appear on a screen? Well, that's why we're here. Join David, Sean, and Owen while they talk about all things tabletop. Now pass the dice, because our next turn starts now. Welcome, welcome to another exciting edition of Table Talk, where we're talking all things Table Talk. Or tabletop, rather. I just like saying tabletop. That's that's two episodes in a row that you did that. <laughs> that's okay. One day I'll get it. Of course, we've got myself and we've got David. And because you guys liked him so much, we brought back Owen for another episode. Owen, how are you, man? Doing great. How are you? You know what? I cannot complain. Got, got to play some board games on the weekend with uh, the other half, which was really nice. And I, I'm hoping you guys did the same. Did you, you get any, up to anything? Oh, I started Charterstone. Ooh, very fancy. You know, so we uh, we started that one, the girlfriend and I, and uh, it was a. Uh, it's interesting because that that's a game where you learn how to play as you play it, and it comes with metal coins. Oh, you got you gotta love that the the metal coins, the feel. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. I've been put. Yeah. No, I've been losing some games of Terraforming Mars online. Uh, you know, that's always fun. <laughs> uh, I, I, I understand that feeling. I mean, I just lost a game of Catan online and I was really upset about it. And they were my friends, so it made it worse. Um, but the- we actually sat down and played Pandemic the other day. And I got to tell you guys, in the world we're living in right now, we lost and it didn't feel good. <laughs> yeah, you're like, damn it. Damn it. We, we, we should have won. If there's only a, I had the scientist. in that game. Yeah, you'd have to imagine that's probably one of the games with a lower winning percentage than losing. Or, sorry, a higher losing percentage than winning. Yeah. There is a uh, version of Pandemic called Pandemic Rapid Response. It's a dice chucker game. Um, It's very fast-paced. I've played that once with, uh, with my girlfriend, and she... I mentioned this last episode. She's still kind of getting into tabletop games and board games. And she's, she's not quite strategic enough for that game that we lost within like five minutes. (laughs) So I just just want to touch on that, that those games like pandemic where like, it's kind of a co-op game where you got to work and you're like playing with like a girlfriend or like a wife or a significant other. That's like a relationship stressor. They're like, why aren't you doing this? Like, Oh, you're like, you know, you need to you need to follow what I'm saying. Or you need to like you know work with me here. Like yeah, if you like if you lose, you lose you know together. And yeah, it, it can be a you know I don't know. I, I after that- after playing that game, I was we were we played it like once, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you know what? we're gonna play something else. And she's like, are you mad at me? I'm like, no, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny too because that game's not designed to be the friendliest for a two player situation, especially no. Because of the the components of just like the player cards, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's no real dual combinations that really work. But it, it's also the intricacies of that game. And I've been accused of it a few times where I've played in a group where I'm planning out other people's turns because I can't sit still. I'm like, no, 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 guys. Like if I do this, then you could do that. And then this person can give me all their cards and I can go get rid of Ebola, you know, like. Yeah, that's called being an alpha gamer. 
Yeah. If, if someone just starts doing that, I'm just like, no, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to go do this other thing. And then we'll I'm going to treachery bullet to South America now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Alpha means top. Top means winning. Winning means I'm having fun. And that's what's really important when it comes to games for me. Anyways. Um, so last episode, we talked about the very basics. We talked about beginner games that everybody should play and how to branch out from some of the classics, you know, your Monopolies, your Scrabbles, your your Hasbro Milton Bradleys, as we will refer to them kindly. This week, we've got a little bit different uh, food on the plate here, if you will. We have party games versus board games, um, explaining the different types of genres and David's favorite topic ever, reasons we shouldn't play Catan, or I should say, starter games that aren't Catan. <laughs> But let's start off first just going kind of a roundtable experience and talk about some of our favorite party games. And uh, I have one that's slightly controversial because it's on a screen and we told ourselves we're not playing scene on screen games. But uh, I love Jackbox as a party game. It's really it's really great to kind of keep people off their phones while on their phones. And I know when you're playing a party game, people are very tempted to play like Cards Against Humanity and check their phone or Cyanide um, and Happiness games and like, you know, check their phone. This, you're forced to like use your phone as a component of the game. And I think it's a different way of engagement. Well, I, I think like the Jackbox games, they're, they're an evolution of some of like the classic party games. Um, but I, f- I feel like a lot of the stuff kind of falls more into the video game sp- sphere. Um, sure, it does. It it's something that you can play together Well, you need lots of people to play, but there's, it's a lot more involved um, because everyone needs to have their phone. Not everyone, you know, necessarily has the battery life on their <laughs> phones to play it. Um, and I, I think although it is a party game, it doesn't quite fit into the tabletop party game comparison. Yeah, like uh, with with Jackbox, like you can have a really good time with Jackbox. Some of the games I like more than others. I think um, I know, there's a lot of things where you have to like make like it prompts you. You got to think of something really quick. Mm-hmm. I I am not that person who thinks that quickly, and like I always second guess myself. So things like that, where I'm like I'm like, oh no, should I put this? And oh, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it next thing. I'm running out of time, and it's like. For me, that's not super enjoyable. I, f- I feel like the Jackbox games are kind of like a an evolution of games like Balderdash and Cranium and yeah, 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 and yeah, those yeah. games where the games themselves, like Cranium has, you know, the clay that you have to build stuff with and, you know, drawing pictures and everything like that. So it's taken that aspect and made it more accessible in a sense, because you can play the Jackbox games with people all around the world. They just go to the website and turn, enter the room code. Whereas party games for the sake of this topic today is, I think we're going to try and stick more to games that you play in the same room with people using physical components, you know, the idea of board (laughs) game stuff, put the phones down, (laughs) <laughs> oh my you know, god phones at, phones at a board game table oh no Can't yeah I, I like to put mine away for sure the uh the one thing i wanted to touch on just before we got into the nuts and bolts of party versus board games is when it comes to the jack boxes the cards against humanity and even balderdash to an extent once your table or your group finds something funny it's very difficult to pull away from that joke 
Oh my um, God. Yes. Yes. Do you, do you remember oh, early pandemic, yeah. which sounds so long ago, but that's over a year ago. <laughs> um, the running joke in almost any Jackbox game where you could type in your own answer was Carol Baskin or that bitch, Carol Baskin. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And yep. D- just the tiger King stuff, like even usernames would be kind of that. And like, it's fun for a while, but at least with cards against humanity, unless you've got a write-in card, which you're like, nobody plays with the answers are always going to be based off the question that's there. It's just mm-hmm. things get old so quickly in groups. And and I think that's a problem. That's that's my biggest problem, though, with party games uh, to the extent of games like Cards Against Humanity or similar like Apples to Apples, games like that, where unless you have uh, multiple expansions to it or... Uh, even games like cyanide, the cyanide and happiness ones or trial by trolley, you know, all these games with cards with specific answers to them. Eventually you'll play the game so much that you'll see the same answers over and over and over again. And it loses its humor. It loses its appeal. Yeah. That's why I personally dis- dislike playing cards against humanity at parties because it's, it was a very unique game when it came out, even though it was pretty much a copy of apples to apples, right? Just more mature. Right. Um, but because it's been out for so long, I've played it so many times that people play cards and it's like, Oh yeah, I know that one. Oh, I know that one. Oh, I yeah, know that one. you're going to start seeing some uh, repetition. If you, yeah, like if you play it all the time, if you break it out, say like once every few months for a party, it's going to take you a while to get through them all. And also there's other companies that are making cards for Cards Against Humanity. There's a company who makes a, uh, it's called um, Crabs Adjust Humidity mm-hmm. and they make their own cards. So there's people constantly making new cards to try to keep it alive. Um, and there's a really big variety of those kinds of games to kind of keep them interesting. But I know what you mean, like, mm-hmm. uh, and especially with Jackbox where, you know, yeah, you get somebody who says something really funny and the next, you know, everybody's putting that in, everybody's laughing. And then and it just, I don't know, I, I have a, a problem with that where it's um, those repeated jokes and, and it just can be kind of stale after a time. Yeah. So like, let's, let's kind of talk about what um, makes something a party game specifically. Um, what are the requirements for something to be considered a party game more so than a game that you would sit down and play with your friends uh, on a Saturday afternoon. Chips and dip. <laughs> Chips and dip. Yeah. You got to have tons of it. Um, I think player count. That, that's one thing for me. And I'm like, okay, how many people are coming over? If it's at four people, well, I'm not going to play a party game because, you know, there are some out there that are like four to 10, but that's like at the low end of the range, right? You're not mm-hmm. going to get that full experience with just the four. If you are having a bigger group, like, you know, eight, 10 people, you're going to want to break out, you know, something a little bigger in scale, um, like a uh, Ultimate Werewolf or like Salem or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and I think um, kind of like with Cars Against Humanity as, as a... Um, main example it's something that's very easy to learn and to teach oh yeah cards against humanity has like three rules right um things like ultimate werewolf salem um even games like secret hitler you know like the hidden what is it the hidden character the hidden figure games where one person plays 
someone and everyone else is trying to, to deduce who's the bad guy or whatever it may be, the werewolf Hitler, whoever. Um, werewolf Hitler? <laughs> werewolf Hitler. That, <laughs> that, could be a, that could be a good, good, good topic or a good game. Um, <laughs> the, the number of people, the environment, um, and the rules all come to play. But it's so like, and, and I think we're going to keep coming back to betrayal in a lot of our episodes because betrayal at health on the hill, you need a minimum of three people to play that game, but it also plays very like it, but it still has a maximum number of what I think is it five, six. 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 Yes. So does that make that a party game or more of a board game? Because it still has Ooh. that high number player count, right? right? So it's, it's, it depends on the situation for sure. Right. Um, you know, if we had, if we were having a house party, you know, and there's 12 of us there, we're not going to crack out betrayal or, you know, risk or something like that and play that as a party game. Right. Because it, the environment so, doesn't really play into that. Funny enough. I actually did break out betrayal at a house party and it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> I think you guys are missing one key factor here. What makes the decision to go party game over board game is very simple. The ability to play this game well inebriated. Ah, that that's true. Cause oh, so when I was uh hosting like more party kind of like not not board game nights or days where I had like, you know, three or four or five people over and we'd play like a few like specific board games. I just had like people over and it was a lot of drinking and um, the games got less complicated as the night went on. We'd start with something like betrayal and then end the night out with like zombie dice where like, mm-hmm. we're all pretty drunk and this is pretty much all we can handle. <laughs> and those games are, and some of those like games like zombie dice are, uh, I, I think more thrilling, a little more exciting because it's like a really big luck driven game. Right. But also the, the setup time, right? Oh, yeah. You know, you, in order to come out with a game that would be a successful party game, the setup needs to be very quick. You know, um, with Cards Against Humanity, literally you bring the deck of, of cards out and you have, they're color-coded. They're either white cards or they're black cards. You know the type of cards, like what they do, shuffle them and hand them out. Um Things like uh, coup that could be a party game, um, and and uh, the setup of that is fairly quickly. Now, one game that I played at a party that I thought was hilarious and was is called Monikers. I think it is Monikers. Yeah, um, and that this was a, a different type of party game that I was not used to uh the premise is you have two teams of a set number of people whatever it may be depends on how many people you're playing with and you have cards and the cards have like a sentence or words or something on it and there's three rounds so um each round one person in the team has to it's been a while since I played. So the first time they have to describe the card without saying the words or something like that. And then they have people have like a certain number of time to guess the card. And then the other team can, once the time limit runs out, the other team can try and steal points. So then the second round comes through and then they have to, 
um, act it out. Right. And then they have to guess cards and act it out. And same thing. Then at once your turn times up, the other team can steal them. And then the third round, they have to say one word to describe what's on the card. So as it goes, you kind of have to memorize the, the cards that your team has, but then you also have to memorize the cards that the other team has. Um, and when we played it, it was a very, it, it was more complicated than cards against humanity. Um, but it was easy to, to learn. And it was a, a ton of fun because it got everyone involved. Um, it puts people kind of, people have to get out of their shell a little bit. Uh, cause we've all been to parties where, you know, there's, there's people who are quieter, shyer and stuff like that. But something like this game, it gets people because everyone is together for a common goal, um, to win obviously, but it's teams versus teams and everyone's encouraging for, for each other. And you see people kind of open up a bit. Uh, yeah. Make, yeah. make fools of themselves, so to speak. Yeah. Right. But it's, it's a very positive environment. I, I was playing with at this party we were at, it was, uh, it was, it started off just as like a regular old, you know, come over for play some board games. And then it turned into lots of drinking and more people from the neighborhood showed up and then it turned into playing these big party games. But there's people there that were kind of in their like mid fifties and they were, they were acting out these cards and it was hilarious. But then when we weren't playing, they were like the most timid people ever. Right. right. Like it's kind of, like it has that charades effect where you're, you know, you're, you're doing these big movements and you're trying to like, you know, describe stuff. It's mm-hmm. uh yeah, and I, uh, I, I think kind of what makes a party game uh, or a game more suited to be a party game is its ability to get people to open up. Right. Or like even games like social deduction games where you're like, you know, you're like accusing and you're saying like, oh, I think you're this. And like, and then they're, they're accusing you like, oh, I'm not like what me, me, I, I'm the bad guy. No, not me. It's this person. Right. It's like you're like acting a bit and you're, you're having fun with it. Like that's super important when it comes to like breaking out a party game and mm-hmm. uh, getting everybody involved. Nothing. And I mean, nothing is better than convincing somebody you're not the bad guy. Oh, it's so great. I getting mean, it all the way around the board and then winning the game. Yeah. I, I'm so bad at that. I'm so bad at being like the traitor. Or the, like, yeah, you are. David knows. He knows. I have this like, <laughs> like as soon as I, I see that I'm like the traitor or like, I like got this big smile on. You have to look at the corner of his lips there and (laughs) it's ever so subtle, but uh, he gets a little smirk on his face. So how do you fare with a game like Sheriff of Nottingham then where it's 100% based on your ability to lie? I actually haven't played Sheriff of Nottingham, to be honest. You're missing out. I think, I think you might do well with Sheriff of Nottingham because it's not so much of a, a traitor game, so to speak. Um, Sheriff of Nottingham, essentially the, the story behind that is you are trying to smuggle goods into, uh, Nottingham, right? And you have to bribe the sheriff. So one person plays a sheriff and you have to bribe him saying like, oh, I only have, um, three chickens and, and two apples. Um, but meanwhile you're smuggling in weapons or something. 
Okay, and then and he has to like call you he out has on to it? determine whether or not you're uh, lying or not. And now you can bribe them as well. It's like, yeah, I only have three chickens and two apples, but you know what? Because I like you so much, you've been really good to me. Here's five gold coins, right? To right. try and bribe them. So I think maybe you might be okay at that game because <laughs> it's more of a can you can I convince someone that I have something that I don't have? Or you can play it safe a few rounds. Right. And say, you know what? Yeah, I have three chickens and two apples and they and have three chickens, two apples. And then they call you out on it and you have three chickens, two apples, and then they you get through. Right. Like or play that bribe. a few times. You can bribe them all the stuff. Uh, Sheriff of Nottingham is, I think, a great example of a um, a game that is a is kind of like that transition spot between a party game and a board game. Right. Um and yeah, like I, I also, well, the game I was talking about where I was the traitor and David kept calling, like you like pretty much picked me out immediately was Dark Moon. And that's <laughs> up to um, eight players. So it's three to eight. It's terrible at three, plays better at the full amount, like six to eight. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, same thing where one person or like up to three people are are infected and everybody else is trying to fix this spaceship while the infected people are are kind of screwing it up and, and throwing a wrench in the works and they can like quarantine them. And again, yeah, like but in to me, like it's it's a big game. There's a big rule book, lots of components, but I will try to break that out every time I have like up over six people. I'll be like, hey, do you want to play this? Like it's this great game. And again, like it's a bit much. <laughs> That game, yeah, th- there is a little bit of a learning curve, but I feel like that's a good game to play early on right? in oh, yeah. a day of uh, potential drinking or whatnot, because it is a very, it promotes a lot of communication. Um, you, you generate alliances with people. You, you come up with theories of who's, who's trying to sabotage. And, and because in that game, the odds are always seem to be against you. You can be, uh, not infected, not a traitor, and rolling like just rolling terribly, right? Because yeah, you, you roll. People's, yeah, it can change you, people's opinions on how you are. Yeah, yeah. So you roll dice to, and then so you submit them to fix stuff. But you can, and you have to submit positive dice to fix. But you could also roll negatives, and nobody knows what you roll. It's secret. So you could like want to say, "I'm going to fix, I'm going to fix the shields," and you roll all your dice. And you might roll all negatives and you have to submit one. So that instantly like will cast out like, oh, did you like, how could you roll all negatives? Like, and there's what the dice only have two sides where it's positive numbers. So you have a greater chance of rolling a negative than you do a positive. Right. So, but that's a a prime example of a, of a, a game that is a board game, but because it has the board, it has all the components, but it is something that I personally would, would rather play in a more like party kind of setting with more people, right? Like I'd be more willing to bring that out at the, on a Saturday afternoon, people are getting together and you know, so you know what, like instead of just standing around, let's, you know, yeah, let's, let's pull play. this game out and, and get some conversation going because it gets people laughing and talking and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Um, it's so fun. And, and then there's games like trial by trolley, which is a fairly recent uh, game that came out by the cyanide and happiness folks and that's um that is a game where you need to play with multiple people uh sean you have this one right yeah and the one thing this might sound poor uh or poor form but 
I dislike the mechanic of the rotating board for this game specifically because you you team you tend to need an odd number of people, but oh, I don't yeah. think five people is enough to play this game and make it actually fun. Yeah, no, that that's because how many people did we have when we played it? I think we, uh, had, we had one, four. two, no, we had three. Five. We had five people. Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. Like I feel like you need at least I'd say. At least you could you could do any number. You could like seven, nine. You could do I like played it with nine. seven, and I feel like seven is the perfect number because you always have teams of three with yeah. one person being the conductor. Well, yeah, you always need that odd number. But the the problem with it with five people is you can easily count around the board how many like victory points people have, right, or deaths. And as you're coming around, you're like, well, I could really lean in the favor of the other one, so I can keep an advantage over how many people are dead, you know? Well, so I have, or I guess it's the, the least amount of people dead. Yeah. Moment. So when it comes to that though, because the, the conductor in that game changes. So trial by trolley for people who haven't played it, um, essentially one person plays a conductor driving this trolley and each person has their tracks and along it are, different characters, different things that are placed on the tracks that either you want to convince the trolley conductor to drive over or not drive over. So uh, one track might have Tom Hanks on it, but then the other team would play a modifier card or an evil card on that. And just further down the track from Tom Hanks would be robot Hitler. Right. And then there's modifier cards saying that, Oh, like uh, if you kill Tom Hanks, like he has the cure for cancer or something like that. And right. So then it comes down to the decision kind of like cards against humanity, where it comes down to the judge, the trolley conductor to decide which track was maybe, maybe funnier or maybe resonated with them more. Um, And when Owen and I, when we played, we were playing into the conductor, right? Like, you know that sometimes it's like, okay, we have a card that um, I know that I know that the conductor really loves their puppy, right? And the card says your puppy on there. Okay, we're going to play that because it's going to like make them think of something in real life. Or we have cards that we know that they will find really funny. So you kind of play into the humor and to the real life situations of the conductor. But yeah, that doesn't work if you don't know the person though. No. And that's the thing. Then you're just kind of stuck on playing whatever you find the most funny. Yeah. Then you're playing whatever. Yeah. What you think is funny and what the other person will be like, Oh, that's kind of distasteful. Like I've had that with uh, cards against humanity where, you know, the person, they have a very odd sense of humor and no matter what you play, it just doesn't click with them. Yeah. But then kind of like what Sean, what you were just saying though, is, is the conductor does have the ability to swing the game in favor of specific people, but they try and change that up with this, where each round the conductor changes and the teams are always changing. Uh, But I, I found that with playing with five people, um, the, the odds of you being, you're going kind of back and forth to being teamed up with the same same two people. Right. Right. Just, it just goes around. Um, and if it, it's with five people, I find that it's actually easier to win because the teams don't change too much. Whereas with seven people, 
the teams change so much that um, you can't it, really get a grasp on. It, yeah, it's hard to see who's winning the most because ultimately who wins and loses is the individual person with the least amount of death tokens. So how many is it? It's five, right? The first of five? Well, it's the depends on the number of players, but it's uh, the the game ends when everyone's being the conductor once. Oh, okay, interesting. So if you, yeah, so that just makes the game longer if you add more people. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that having other people kind of, uh, I guess, accelerates is the the amount of chaos that can happen in the game. I find like the two because it's one train car per person right per team and then you get your your modifier but sometimes the modifiers just aren't that funny and when you're modifying one of two cars it i don't know to me i think when you look at the cyanide and happiness games joking hazard was great for a party game because it was a take on um cards against humanity but comic based oh and then you you have all the oatmeal games that kind of do the same thing but in different ways Mm -hmm. and it's just I understand that these two companies are like competing for each other for like tier three of the party game platform, but this was a miss. Like I enjoy the game. I think it's fun. I support cyanide and happiness and I support the oatmeal because they're websites that I've been following since I was in high school, but trial by trolley is not a great party game to me. And I'm, I'm sorry. (laughs) It's, it's one of those games that you definitely have to know your audience. I feel like, Oh, sorry, I feel like the team-based aspect of it was interesting to me where like you have your hand of cards and you're sitting next to somebody being like, oh, I should play this or you should play this. And depending on who you're teamed with, they might steamroll you and be like, no, we're not playing the cards you want to. We're playing the cards I have because I think they're funnier, right? Uh, this, again, like that's situational depending on the people you're with. But I found that a little bit when I was playing it where it's like someone was like, oh no, like I want to play this. This is the card I want to play. And like, you, you, what are you going to argue about it? Like, mm-hmm. I get it. So why don't, why don't we change directions a little bit here? Um, because we can talk about party games all day, but let's talk more about the genres and what type of games are out there for our listeners. Yeah. So everyone knows like the classic Hasbro games, Milton Bradley, you know, Monopoly, Risk, Clue, Sorry. You know, like there's the word games. There's the the roll your dice, press and press movie your character luck. games, press your luck, um, mystery games. But there's a there's a, a huge, huge universe of different game genres um, that can appeal to. Like honestly, I I totally think that there is at least one board game out there for every person in the world. Oh, totally agree. Um, it's it's kind of like movies or musics or music. <laughs> um, there There's different genres and people like different things. Same thing with board games. So we're going to go over just a few of the, I would say, more common, um, broader genres that people might not necessarily either know what they're called um, or not really know of in general. So... First one that we're going to just kind of talk about, which I think if anyone's ever played Risk, you would definitely know this one. Um, And that would be area control games. So these are games where the board has some sort of world map um, or spaces 
defining like with uh, with definitive borders where players are working against each other to either control the most resources or the most land mass. Um, some examples of these would be, like I said, risk, uh, scythe, royals, and small world. Now, small world is a very, uh, I would say, is a, a, a well-known game. Scythe is actually, uh, Owens, this is probably one of your favorite yeah, games. Yeah, uh, I've played literally hundreds, hundreds of games of Scythe, and it's amazing. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to the first area control game. It's called Go, and it's was made, I think, 4,000 years uh, before chess or something like that. No, something like that. It is like just this insane area control game. If you get a chance, jump on YouTube and like watch AlphaGo or like check out some Go matches. They're just crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, my experience with area control games i'm not necessarily the fondest of them but because uh, like we we played scythe and uh, the first time i played scythe was with you owen and i understood the concept of it but i feel like that game and specifically there's so much more to just moving your character and and getting an area right and getting some resources like you have to manage and you have to understand what everyone else is doing as well yeah. um so like that's a game that needs a lot of practice. But Royals, I, I put this one in here because um, it's I don't think it's as commonly known. Um, for people who know board games, they've probably heard of it. I don't know if you've heard of this one, Owen. Uh, Royals? No, I haven't heard of it. Oh, okay. There you go. So it is a uh, area control game that takes place over uh, generations in Europe where essentially you're just uh, trying to control different cities in Europe. And at the end of the game, whoever has the most um cities and um there's different like royal family figures um whoever has the most points wins uh and it's played by placing cards down matching a certain number of cards to the area that you're trying to control oh okay uh it's a lot of fun it's super basic super easy to learn um it's very thematic as well uh when we were playing i was playing with uh, my girlfriend and she was like super into it so uh and and she doesn't really like area control games and if i had told her beforehand that it was an area control game she probably wouldn't have necessarily been interested in playing it but that's one of those ones that's very different right um and so, another oh sorry you I, get- yeah i just want to say like with area control games like you said a lot of people don't like them like especially with when i play scythe i play with a group of people who are very good at area control games they've been playing like um, axis and allies and risk you know forever like competitive level axis and allies and they can look at the board and and like map out their plan before i even get a chance to like put my pieces everywhere yeah and i find that's like a big thing about area control and i think if people compare or say like oh area control games like risk a lot of people don't like risk um because it has that player elimination and you have to be very strategic for that. So there's, there's a lot of games out there that are area control that are, I think better than risk, but uh, moving on, this is a, I would say fairly new concept um, campaign or legacy games. Um, Typically when people think of like campaign, traditional campaign tabletop games, so you think of like Dungeons and Dragons, right? Because you're playing through a, a story over multiple sessions. Well, there's a lot more games that are coming out that have stories built into the game where the game is a story. Um, and generally you're working together as a team. 
they're they're co-op games people play different they each have their own characters that might have different equipment different skills all that stuff um some examples would be gloomhaven even pandemic legacy uh i mentioned charterstone earlier today that's a, a legacy game with a story um even games like legends of andor or um, mansions of madness these are campaign games that have a story that progress over multiple games so and- yeah so I think the big thing about campaign games is the ability to level up your characters and make your characters better. I think when you when you talk about a can, campaign game like Gloomhaven or Imperial Assault or um, Descent, uh, Journey in the Darkness, like you start with again like your crappy level one character and you build them up over the series of like say like whatever it is 10 15 20 missions mm-hmm. and then you you got your big epic final battle you know it's it just it tells this great story that you can share with your friends uh over however many sessions with gloomhaven yeah. it's a hundred it's a hundred about a hundred camp like um missions to, to play yeah. through yeah and 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 generally campaign games require a little more planning to get uh, underway yeah i think that's why i haven't played them as much is because yeah you need to have that group which i think we're starting to get there we're like we're seeing each other uh more often like on weekends but like mm-hmm. because of the pandemic we haven't been able to yeah um but uh yeah like it, it, uh, they're, they're just so great for for making those um those memorable moments yeah. that you can have with your friends <laughs> And so then a lot of campaign games and even legacy games, they, they share a lot of genres with other games as well. And I would say probably the most common one would be the dungeon crawlers. And so these are, again, games where players take on the roles of characters and they make their way through specific locations, maps, and areas on a square or hexagon um, board. Um, with either like a story behind it or someone playing or playing and controlling the enemies um or uh like a companion app like uh mansions of madness you can play that game with uh the app essentially being the gm the game master controlling the monsters and kind of pushing the story forward so some examples of this would be again gloomhaven uh star wars imperial assault mansions of madness and even uh cthulhu death may die uh these are all games that have campaign aspects to it um but then also are dungeon crawlers in the sense that players are going through specific kind of enclosed maps for the entirety of that game session um and then another one that has actually started to become very very popular over the last few years would be uh euro games or also short form mentioned as euro or sorry yeah just euros um these generally are more strategy focused games uh that generally have limited character interaction um in the sense of like combat and stuff like that there's generally less direct interaction between characters because they're more um financial or or right economic uh, games. economic games yeah, yeah. so like, well with for euros i find that um there's not as much luck involved in a euro game so american games like um like 
descent uh journey in the darkness or like uh, i think like the doom game or things like that they're mm-hmm. uh, they're uh referred to as uh ameritrash because they by the european yeah. <laughs> community because they rely more heavily on dice rolling which mm-hmm. give or take that's super luck driven um whereas like you have a game like scythe that is all the information is on the table the only thing that might be a bit random is like the uh combat cards which is in a deck and that's yeah and, and the encounter cards which is in a deck but everything else right in front of you yeah so some examples of uh euro games would be like brass birmingham or even brass lancashire terraforming mars ticket to ride um i think is terraforming mars and ticket to ride are probably more well known because you can buy them in most bookstores as well like those are games that you don't necessarily have to go to a specialty board game or tabletop store to see. Um, and again, like Owen said, they're they're less uh, luck based. And I know that a lot of people dislike the the dice rolling mechanics of some games. Um, there was a game that was recently released based off of Stardew Valley. Oh yeah, and yeah. Uh, it looks great. It looks phenomenal, but the biggest downfall on that game is that it is like 99% luck based. So it's a very difficult game to win because of how much luck is involved. Um, So then another kind of genre that is, uh, is gaining popularity or has gained popularity. And a lot of these things will mix in between each other. Um, So you'll get a lot of Euro games mixed in with this one, which is worker placement games. Um, So these are games where, again, you have your board um, and you're either building some sort of engine to generate um, income, generally by placing in like a set number of workers that you have onto the board to um, claim locations. Um, the, The big... Uh, thing about these games is that player interaction is caused or created because if uh, generally if I were to place my worker somewhere, someone else can't go there. Yeah, um, you're, you're taking up a space. Sorry, yeah. I keep, I keep tripping you. That's yeah, all right. They, they they keep on. Yeah, they 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 block other people, um, and that that that's you're right. That's generally where the um, where the conflict is. Is you're you're blocking their space, but also I find with worker placements you have a very limited amount of turns by it usually. Like there's like, say mm-hmm. like you have five rounds, you only have two workers to place. So you need to really plan your turns out. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of the strategy is. You have to look and be like, okay, if I put my worker here and I get these resources, I can then buy, buy this card and play this card to like do this. And you really have to like have a big overarching plan. Um, yeah, and so, some examples of worker placement games are like Everdale, where you're you're building your own little town, but you're setting workers out to collect resources. Uh, Charterstone is one. Charterstone is a legacy game as well. Um, so you're building the board as you play, um, but at the same time, you have your workers that you place onto different locations on the board to get resources and build stuff. And then uh, one of my all-time favorite games, Lords of Waterdeep, um, it's a game based in the Dungeons and Dragons universe that takes place in the city of Waterdeep. And essentially, you're just trying to get the most victory points by sending your agents, they're called, uh, to different locations to get resources and to complete quests and stuff like that. Yeah, that's a great one. It's like one of my favorites, too, for uh, worker placements. Yeah. And then uh, we also have one. Uh, there's there's abstract games. And I think Owen has uh, 
a, a better explanation for abstract games than I yeah. can. So abstracts are abstract games are mostly like puzzle games. They're they're more so like the um like the Azul and um uh yeah like um Kumali or or Six or any of those games um that require like uh some puzzle like uh, problem solving um or like uh just kind of games to kind of fall out of that that regular category of like worker placement um some great games like are like uh onitama again like kuma like i i every time i play kumali it's just awesome like really basic game where you just play place marbles on a board and you can only place a marble uh vertically or horizontally against the last marble and it's an area control game also so you're trying to like take a bigger area uh it's just it's so great um my wife actually took it to a conference because it was like a 24-hour coding thing at a college and she's like oh i'm gonna be so bored i'm just gonna take this game and i'll play with the people i'm hanging out with there and she ended up playing with all these students and they're all like blown away by it uh because it's just like this awesome puzzle game um yeah. So like, I guess abstract games would be more, more puzzle games or games that don't necessarily have a story per se that no. you have to follow along where you're not controlling necessarily characters, but you're more controlling, um, I don't know, movement or a, a game board of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, yeah. It kind of like, um, it falls out of that, that, that general cat category. Um, I, I always have a great time with them. Um, yeah, I don't really know what else to say about the abstracts. Yeah, that they're abstract. And guys, I've been listening this whole time, but you've uh, you've really nailed down the genres to the point where I was taking notes, and uh, that was a lot, a lot of information for me to take in. But I, I'm glad we did. Uh, I want to just change the direction a little bit more here and get into those games we promised our listeners. Now, uh, we've opened up our eyes to a bunch of the different genres, as I said. What are some advanced starter games to try? So I've got a list here in front of me and it's been curated by the two of you. So what I would like to do is go back and forth for the next little bit. uh, And you guys can give me your best elevator pitch for why you should play this game. Each pitch could be about 30 seconds in length, maybe 45 if you're really risky. I don't even Um, know if that's possible. (laughs) I was going to make David go first because he was being smart, but I just, I can't see him saying anything nice about the first game on the list. No, no, I can't. Owen, I will give you the honors um, as to a quick elevator pitch as to why we should be playing Catan. So just quick before we get into this, these uh, just for our listeners, uh, these games are just something that we would recommend uh, you to introduce to your gaming friends or even your family after they've kind of gotten a taste of different types of board games. You know, you've shown them uh, they've played Cards Against Humanity. They, you've played Machikoro with them. You, so they have an idea on different games that are out there and they want to sit down with you and play something a little more in depth. So these games are ones that we've just kind of think that would require a little bit more teaching, but you can take a lot more out of them. Okay, that sounds good. I like that. That's a, a very good way to to phrase the exercise we are about to do. But Owen, again, we'll give you the floor because I can't say to David, "Sami I hate, Katan." I hate Katan. I hate it. <laughs> okay. So the the floor is yours. Okay. Hi. Have you ever wanted to <laughs> trade wood for sheep? Then. <laughs> Catan, <laughs> it's this game for like, 
it's um it's this awesome game where you you get to barter and negotiate and try to you know weasel your way to get the longest the longest road the biggest civilization there's uh there's so much you know interaction where you're you're just you know you're either being gracious and being like okay here i'll trade this with you or you're kind of being conniving and you're like uh saying all right i'm not going to give this to you unless you give me all of this right uh it's just this awesome experience where you get to um i don't really uh, really <laughs> inter- I, it, it's, it's hard it's hard to to, to talk about Catan nicely <laughs> yeah I, I hate Catan. it's it is one of those it, it is a a starter game everyone i think starts with Catan. it is one of the most popular games ever it's been around uh, for like what 20 20 plus years yeah something like that there's world championships yeah like, there's a there's a, a big history behind Catan, and it, the the story behind it is actually pretty interesting but i still hate it it's got player elimination which is what i don't like it, it there's a lot of king making in it uh where like one person can really pull ahead and it's so luck driven that I hate, I hate the dice it rolling in Catan so much. Yeah. Like, you could like start out with a good slice, like a good chunk. And it just all depends on the dice roll. It's completely yeah. dice driven. I don't think we sold that game on anyone listening, but uh... well, no, it, no, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Like it, it is a good game. It's just, there's some things that really irk me about it, but like the there's, there's that that game that, has over a lot of ones is that it's fairly easy to learn yeah, um, and teach. So it's easy yeah. to learn, easy to teach. It is, there is a lot of care, like person interaction where you are saying, Oh, Hey, look, I need, I need a clay and I'm willing to give you uh, like two wood or a, like a couple sheep for that clay. And like, uh, and you can really pull some fast ones on people. Like you can come out from last place and win the game. I've seen that happen where people mm-hmm. are like really are good at negotiating or like really good at strategizing. There's a few different aspects there yeah. where like you can really take the board and, and, and get lucky with your dice rolls or you really have to negotiate well. Yeah. And having multiple ways to win also is super duper helpful. Moving on to our next elevator pitch. We'll actually, uh, we're, we're gonna, I'm going to try and buzz down David right at 45. But <laughs> okay. Pandemic. So Pandemic is if you want to play the game of the year 2020. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty much you're just working together with a group of friends. Uh, everyone has their different jobs or that they're due. And ultimately the goal is to contain a global pandemic from spreading um this is actually a very popular game i think uh, it's difficult though that's the thing this is a game that really pushes your cooperation with your team with your friends um but it is a very very popular game there's a ton of different versions of it there are legacy games behind it um it's just one of those games that it's a little difficult to pick up and play right from the get-go. Um, but once someone understands the concept behind it and how to play it, it's fairly easy to teach. I would say that was a fairly good selling point. Um, it is very easy to teach. Um, it does have some anxieties for tw- the year 2020, though. Like, we play it <laughs> ironically, which is super fun. Well, it's but- funny because uh, a group of my f- 
friends, we started Pandemic Legacy Season 2 um, right around March of 2020 like beginning of march like right as things started shutting down um and we got about three quarters of the way through before we had to stay in our home so we haven't yet finished it but it's funny because that game so far is taking the same amount of time as this actual global pandemic (laughs) to complete Uh, so that's that's funny and also terrifying at the same time yeah maybe i had something to do with it who knows all right owen you're up everdell Everdell. So Everdell is this just absolutely gorgeous um, worker placement game where you place workers in different areas to get different resources like wood or berries. And you buy cards to play in your area. And uh, those cards will give you bonuses and power-ups. And it's just this beautifully illustrated game. Every time I play it, I just, I get so wrapped up in the artwork and it's just so adorable because you have all these like mice and woodland creatures who are are like doing jobs like you have a blacksmith who's a mouse or like a sheriff who's like a blue jay things like that it's just so cute and then the actual um the board itself there's a big tree that you like put the cards in and different stuff and it just it's very like thematic and very fun to play there's there's a ton of expansions for that game as well yeah. that add on to the board. Um, it's I know like the that, water one. Yeah, there's uh, Pearl Brook, there's Spirecrest, there's Belfair. There's uh, two more that actually came out recently. Um, Starling Games just did a Kickstarter for two more expansions. I currently have all of the ones that are out in print right now. They just add more to the, the board. Um, and then also you can get a wooden tree. Oh, uh, nice! The, the tree is that comes with it is obviously cardboard, but after playing a while, it like falls they, apart. Yeah. It falls apart. So I actually found it for fairly cheap. It was like twenty bucks. Um, so I have the the wooden tree. Yeah, from funny cup of Everdale. Funny, funny story with the uh, Everdale. First time I played it, me and my wife were sitting down to play it. We had it all set up, ready to play it, and I dumped by accident a huge glass of water over the whole thing, and then like it just became us like rushing to like dry all the cards out. It was was a mess. That's like any board gamer's nightmare. Yeah, it's the worst. (laughs) It's like brand new game, just just out of the box. And you're like dumping a giant glass of water all over it. Um, I really enjoyed Everdell when I got to play it with David, although we only played it digitally at the time. Uh, The one thing I found myself doing, and I, I think it was by season two or season three, I was like trying to figure out the maximum amount of moves I could make within a turn. Or if I would get more turns than other people, if I like played things strategically, I think it's a very good, like medium to, I guess, more intermediate game because like there Mm -hmm. are some fun, like if you play it at face value, very good game. But if you really start thinking about the game and trying to uh, like just advance how you can play, like I know when you and I played with the other halves, I was trying to figure out ways to get more turns and I know people started dwindling off and I think I ended up with like four or five turns extra over everybody else Yeah, just because of the way I chose to play. The game is very basic uh, and, and anyone can learn it, but there is some very, very deep strategy involved with it. It's a situation where it's like easy to learn, hard to master. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, There's actually a whole like Everdell league. (laughs) That's awesome uh, on on digital on Tabletopia. So, so uh, one one thing my my brother in law does with his friends when we play with him, we we play a lot of like Terraforming Mars as a group or a Scythe, 
and we'll play a game. And then after we're done, they will sit and just discuss the strategies that they employ, like deployed during the game and, um, and what they could have done differently. And they'll talk about it for hours mm-hmm. after the game and like what they could do differently. So like that's a situation where, yeah, like you could play a game or, and, and, and enjoy it. But there's also that other side of it where like, if it's a strategy game, you could really dig into the strategy. So why don't we hit up terraforming Mars? Uh, David, if you want to hit it, great. If not, um, Owen, you could double down and David can get the last one. I'll, I'll, yeah, let, you, I'll let you yeah, do this that, one, Owen. That sounds fair. Um, so yeah, Terraforming Mars is just, um, it is just such a well thought out game. The guy who actually designed it, I think he is like an astrophysicist or something like that. He went to school for some crazy science um, degree and like, it is everything about it is like you could almost plausibly play a card and be like, Oh wow, this could actually like be a thing that would terraform Mars. Um, it is, it's just great. The, the board, there's board control. You're um, drafting cards or you're buying cards and you're playing cards down uh, that will give you abilities and uh, generate resources. Um, and just the strategy involved it's it's one of those games like you could play a game of it and be completely happy or you could like just really dig down into the strategy and like really analyze what you're doing funny story about terraforming mars sean um owen and i were playing this the digital version um i don't know maybe a month ago or whatever mm-hmm. and i was obliterating him i had so many victory points that it would have been almost impossible for him to catch up. But because the way that the game was set up, it was like a 30 minute timer. And so it's kind of like chess where, you know, you have a set amount of time to make your moves. And for some reason, Owen set the game up to be 30 minutes. So because I, I enough time, because I took more than 30 minutes, uh, it, the game kicked me out. Like, 30 minutes came up and I was kicked out of the game and then an AI took over playing for me. Good. So. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think I won that game. No, I don't, I don't know. I think I quit it, but yeah. But yeah. That's the only, that's the only way that I lost that game while I was winning. All right. All right. I'll have to do a rematch sometime and I'll set it. Yeah, for we like will. I actually <laughs> um, recently backed the terraforming Mars big box collection with like the 3d tiles and a whole bunch of stuff. So I have that coming in the next few months, probably with like all of the expansions and everything. So once that comes up, we're going to have a, a big, big old game of terraforming Mars. Oh, hell yeah. I'm into that. But for now, instead of terraforming Mars, why don't we talk about elder sign? So, Elder Sign is by far one of my favorite games. It is a game based in the HP Lovecraft universe. So, you know, the Cthulhu and all of that stuff. Uh, You are investigators exploring a uh, museum at night. Uh, It is a dice chucker. So in the sense where you have uh, a, a pool of dice and you have to roll them. And based off of the results, you have to complete tasks on the different cards. You want to collect elder signs to send the great old one back into the abyss because obviously cultists are trying to uh, rise them, raise them to end the world, right? Damn cultists. Uh, the museum is constantly changing because you're playing different cards that are the, the rooms. Uh, it is so difficult. Um, 
it is a ton of fun though uh the the game has like a, a decent amount of rules but they're it's a fantasy flight game and i find that their rule books and the way that they design their games they are they're actually very easy to learn um and i've this is one of the games that i have introduced to a few of my friends and every time they love it and it doesn't take much to teach it but I think this is a great gateway game into um, the like Lovecraft Cthulhu kind of HP Lovecraft, like and like Arkham Horror, um, Eldritch Horror, like all those games. They're so thematic. They they have great uh, just great stories. Yeah. Um, So then, just to kind of uh, speed things along before the end of this episode, once you guys have kind of tried some of these games. There are some other games that are more intermediate, but have much more strategy and some co-op aspects to it um, and add some competitiveness to them as well. So two of those games, we have two that are very um, highly recommended. One being Mansions of Madness. So if you like Elder Sign, um, if you like the Lovecraft stuff, Mansions of Madness is a great dungeon crawler kind of story-based game in the Lovecraft universe again, where you are investigators uh, going through this mansion that is ever changing. Uh, the one cool thing about this game is that you you do need a tablet or a phone or a computer because there is a mansions of madness companion app that you play with. Um, and it drives the narrative for you. So you can sit together with a group of friends and play this game and no one has to control the game because the game controls it for you. You're playing against the game. Um, so if you go into a room, there's a monster there. The game tells you kind of like what you're doing, your role to come to, to for combat. And depending on what you do, you select it on the app and then something happens. Uh, oh, and you and I uh, played with one of your friends oh. That was and so fun. Yeah. It was such a, we played like the longest scenario in the base game. Now this is the one dis- disadvantage of this, this game is that there's four scenarios in the game. And once you play them, you kind of know how they go. There are expansions, but there's also a huge community behind this game. Uh, there is a, th- uh, like a third party app called Valkyrie, I believe where people make, um, their own scenarios. So depending on which games you have, people make scenarios. So like there's a huge community behind it, but it's a ton of fun. It's a great entry game into um, story driven and co-op games where the game kind of teaches you how to play as you go. I I love the story for that. It was so fun. And like, it was so like, I think we played for like six hours and we took our time. Yeah. It felt like, like no, I think it was like three, maybe, but, uh, and well, then it, 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 to me, I was like, I was having fun the entire time. Like we were like, we were hunkered down for a bit, but it didn't yeah. feel like any time pass at all. It no, was no. so fun. Yeah. And then, uh, another one would be dead of winter. I know we've talked about this a little bit. Dead of winter is a co-op zombie apocalypse game. Um, but the one thing about this is that there is potentially a traitor among you. Uh, so one person, their goal is to make everyone lose, but they don't want to reveal themselves too early because they can be exiled out of the camp and lose the game themselves. Uh, this game is daunting. Uh, there is a lot of components to it, but the basic fundamentals, the game kind of teaches you or, or tells you what to do. Right. Um, it's a great game for co-op, for strategy. It's very thematic. This is definitely something that when we play, we put on some 
scary music, music. Yeah. sound effects and stuff like that. And uh, we get it real cold in here. We turn the AC on. We, I, you know what? I, I bring this game out every year in December. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's one of my Christmas games to play because it just fits so well. Uh, uh, another thing about the game is, um, so yeah, you do have that hidden hidden uh, bad guy aspect to it, but you can also play the game fully co-op. Like you can, mm-hmm. if you're like, I don't really want to do that. I don't really want to be accusing people or I don't want somebody to like feel like they have to like compete against us. We can just play yeah. it fully co-op. Um, and also another interesting thing is at the beginning of the game, everybody gets their own kind of uh, situation card where they don't win the game. Like you could finish the game and complete it by like mm-hmm. That's doing right. the main the main scenario, but you don't win unless you complete your own personal objective, which it could be like uh, hoard gasoline. So you have to at the end of the game, you have to have a certain amount of gasoline cards in your hand, or like a certain amount of books or something like that. Yeah, uh, to win. Or the game. some of them might have require a specific weapon. Like you need to have uh, a shotgun, or there needs to be. Uh, less than you know six unknown survivors in the camp so like when it comes to votes and whether or not we want to get more people in the camp you kind of have to vote against these things which then makes it seem like you're a traitor but you're not you're just trying to win the game for yourself um it's it's a great game it's it's set up it's probably one of the one games that we've we've talked about that setup requires a little more work it's a little bigger game um it's a ton of fun, though. I've played it probably about a dozen times. I've won maybe twice. It's but hard. I will, it's I will hard. play it. I will play it over and over again. So, yeah, like those are uh, some of our games that we have selected for um, if if your friends want to try something a little more advanced. Yeah, those are great recommendations. And there, there's a ton of great games out there just to like, like jump on board Game Geek. Uh, and like kind of see what's out there. Yeah. The, the list you guys took us through today is something that I I'm very excited to kind of dig my teeth into and play a few games. I know you guys and I are already play, uh, planning a terraforming night. So I'm really excited about that opportunity. I'm sorry. It was a little bit quieter today, guys got a little bit of a, a raspy voice. I've been yelling a lot <laughs> lately, just try to communicate with some people and some like over some construction. So uh, I apologize, but I think you two handled it incredibly well. Now, with that being said, join us on our next episode where we're going to be talking a little bit more about that, that the rules of the game and how um, house rules and regular rules kind of affect everything. But from here on out, my name's Sean, we have David and we have Owen and we're so glad you're here. Please check us out wherever you, wherever you can Spotify, Instagram, iTunes, random podcatchers, you name it, we're there. Thanks for listening and enjoy your next game.